Hi, and welcome to Communicating Climate Change, a podcast dedicated to helping you do exactly that. I'm Dickon, and I'll be your host as we dig deep into the best practices and the worst offences, always looking for ways to help you and me improve our abilities to engage, empower, and ultimately activate audiences on climate-related issues. This episode features a conversation with senior journalist, media researcher, and independent advisor, Alexandra Borchiat. It was recorded in March 2023. Alexandra, who holds a PhD in political science, is the former managing editor of the Süddeutsche Zeitung, one of Germany's major daily newspapers. With a strong journalistic resume, she now teaches, advises, and coaches on topics around journalism, innovation, digital transformation and leadership for organizations and institutions including the World Association of News Publishers, the Technical University of Munich, the University of the Arts Berlin, and Hamburg Media School. She's also affiliated with the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism at the University of Oxford as a senior research associate. Alexandra is the lead author of the recent European Broadcasting Union report entitled Climate Journalism That Works, Between Knowledge and Impact, which formed the basis of our conversation. Amongst other things, we discussed the shortfalls of climate journalism conducted over the last few decades, the value of sidestepping big stories and big names in favour of approaches that bring news home to people in their local contexts, and the responsibility that climate journalists hold by virtue of their work. So, let's get on with it. This is Communicating Climate Change with Alexandra Borchardt. So the first one is uh, nice, big and broad, and it's simply, from your perspective, how can communication contribute to mitigating the worst effects of climate change in the first place? It not only can contribute to this, it has to, because, I mean, uh, communication is, is all we have to make people understand that it's urgent and uh, we need to act now. Um, and it also needs to help again and again to explain what is at stake, which is actually the, the future of, of humanity. Many people have an idea that this is really serious. This is what surveys indicate, at least. But they also don't realize that there are so many uh, solutions already being developed, that there's technology being developed, that there is uh, hope, there are opportunities. Because, um, to be honest, I think the media has done a lousy job uh, so far at, at confronting people with, with the breadth of, of what's out there in, in terms of possible futures. And I think that's where communication really has to do an important job. We're going to be talking about the report and I'm going to be digging into some of the issues within it. But maybe it makes sense if you could give some kind of a summary or like an elevator pitch for uh, listeners so that they know when they go to the show notes where it will be linked, what they could find. That's not a problem at all, because I think the title is an elevator pitch. It's, uh, you know, climate journalism that works between knowledge and impact. And it shows you that we so far we've, we've accumulated lots of knowledge, but we're still missing the impact. And the report shows how to have impact with communication in particular, with climate journalism and what newsrooms can do, are already doing, and what they should be doing uh, to help communicate the, the climate challenge to people. What do you consider the role to be of journalists in this climate context? Well, actually, journalists have, have several roles, uh, as, as usually, and, and not even roles. They have a mandate, actually, particularly public service media, because uh, journalists are obligated to 
uh, explain the challenge to people, to inform people of risks uh, they are confronted with uh, that threaten their livelihoods uh, and the livelihoods of their children, uh, future generations and, and their communities. So, so they really uh, have the responsibility to, to go at it. And obviously, they have several roles here. They have the role uh, to investigate, to point out wrongdoing, and that's what journalists have been eager to do, and that's the very job description. Um, a role that journalists have been neglecting quite a bit is explaining, uh, and it's particularly challenging because many journalists don't really have an idea about the science behind the climate change or the impact of certain things. So to explain, you have to be uh, good at understanding first, at comprehending what's what's at stake. But but really, what people need is a lot of explanation, but also explanation that resonates with them. So not some you know over the top of your head sort of uh, science based lingo, but really uh, explanation that's that's easy to understand and and that's not boring. So that is a challenge, and. Um, also, journalists have to exploit all kinds of ways to transmit the message to different audiences. And this is probably the most challenging. And so we also reached out to experts beyond journalism, communication scientists. And actually, I, I love to point out that we also uh, interviewed a stand-up comedian who is transporting the message with humor. And I think uh, that is something that journalists also should try to get their grips on, uh, you know, how to communicate the message without scaring people off, uh, threatening them, but sort of, you know, getting to them in an maybe an informative, but also entertaining way that makes them think, that makes them reflect, but also sometimes makes them laugh about themselves, which is always something that, that is more likely to, to spur action than uh, when people feel guilty about doing something. And, and so exploiting all these different avenues of, of communicating climate change is, is really at, at the heart of, of journalism. What are the typical approaches that journalists have taken in addressing climate change so far? And how have they developed over time? Journalists obviously have taken the, the regular approach, uh, the, the journalism approach, the news approach, um, which has obviously the problem that you don't have climate news every day. You have news when there are natural disasters or extreme weather events that could be linked to climate change, but maybe not. Uh, they cover uh, political conflict and protests, um, which is tricky because then they easily go down that polarizing road of, you know, oh, you know, these guys, bad guys, good guys, uh, this party against the other party, which often doesn't really help because then people have to pick sides. And, you know, maybe if they don't like the, the, the proponents uh, because maybe they are protesters and people don't identify themselves with protesters, they feel, oh, I'm on the other side, which might not be true. So that's a typical journalism approach, uh, yeah, focusing on conflict, focusing on news, and it doesn't work that well with climate. Um, yeah, for the reasons I already mentioned, there's not a news event every day. Also, people get bored when they listen to the same stuff over and over again. Um, obviously, journalists have also covered big events, 
uh, like, you know, the, the COP uh, summits uh, with lots of political actors, with lots of uh, he said, she said journalism, as I tend to say. And these conferences were, were never really followed up with. So people really have no idea what actually happened in the aftermath. Um, yeah, and also there there have been investigations, particularly in the environmental uh, sphere with environmental politics that's not always related to climate, but uh, that is obviously a job that uh, journalists uh, have been doing for the past decades, and that's actually the most dangerous part of the job. I just recently learned that being an environmental journalist is the second most dangerous uh, journalism job you can have uh, following uh, being a war correspondent, um, because obviously you are digging into you know vested interests. You you're really uncovering stuff that hurts uh, major interests, and and that's why you create uh, big time enemies. So that's what journalists have been doing a lot of. And then, you know, looking at that, the climate issue has been with us for maybe three decades. Uh, yeah, you, you can see that the impact has been modest. So journalism really needs to find new ways of communicating the climate. And uh, that is what, what some newsrooms uh, only in recent years have started to experiment with. I just saw it was, a, I think, a leaked internal memo of all BBC journalists being told you don't need to have a denier on uh, on on the panel anymore. You know, we can just talk frankly about the issue. So obviously, this is something that's happening in the back rooms that people are making decisions to change up the way they talk about climate change. But I wonder, and this leads me to my next question, if there are any values or standards within journalistic practice that need to shift in order to facilitate better reporting on climate change? Are you hinting at the, the impartiality issue? Because that is one thing that obviously has been contested for quite some time, also in other contexts, um, because it always, you know, if you want to be impartial or if you want to have some sort of... Um, yeah, uh, objectivity, whatever. You just have to define where your, where the neutral ground is. And since science is to uh, 99 something percent uh, in agreement on the dangers that, that are ahead of us, um, impartiality doesn't mean that, that uh, you have to find uh, someone who's opposing this, uh, at least not on the scientific part. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, opportunity to, to discuss and debate on solutions because we don't really know, uh, you know, where we are going. But but the impartiality issue um, is really uh, changing into this what what uh, Ofcom and also what the BBC obviously uses the, the concept of due impartiality. So impartiality that is adequate to the issue, which which is really important. Um, yeah, I already mentioned the news focus of news. And newsrooms have made the experience that actually uh, not focusing on every single news event, but really investing in, in deep dive uh, journalism, really investing in journalism that engages audiences with beautiful imagery, maybe also, or maybe not beautiful, but images that exert emotions maybe um, is important or digitally told stories or stories that hit close to home that affect people where they live uh, in their in their environment not going for 
the big politicians or the big conferences or, you know, this, uh, oh, I have access to this uh, famous scientist or this famous decision maker, but, but really looking at where people live or how climate change affects them personally. And I talked to Ritu Kapoor, who's the CEO of the, the Quint in, in India, and she said very successful stories were how how air pollution affects your body. Uh, people were very intrigued by that. Or um, in, in Canada, there was a newsroom at, at CBC. They, they did heat maps of cities and explained inequality by, um, by these heat maps. People could punch in their postal codes and they could see how, how the, the average temperature uh, had, had risen in, in the area where they live. And it was pretty obvious that in richer areas or areas populated by, by richer people, they have more greenery, more trees, uh, tree-lined streets, that temperatures were lower than where poorer people live, where there's less green green space and stuff. So, so all these stories that are really very close to home, but that are not likely to gain this huge international reach maybe um, have resonated a lot with people so so this trap of really going for um, reach and the big issues and the big names um, uh, when when you avoid that but go really right down to where people are affected in their personal lives um, that that uh, tends to work much better Based on everything you're saying about kind of local really mattering, how can big news organizations engage audiences on many, many, many local levels where they kind of traditionally have thrown big, wide stories at people and kind of hoped that that would be the engaging factor? I mean... You need both. Obviously, it doesn't make sense uh, for a big international news organization to to really focus on all these local areas. But uh, public service media usually has the mandate uh, and 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 the obligation to really cater to local audiences that no one else caters to. So they are required uh, to do that. Then you have uh, local news organizations. For them, it's actually good because people won't find. Uh, the stuff that they are doing anywhere else. They are uniquely equipped to, to cover climate change in their local context. And that's the only place where audiences will find that information that is relevant, directly relevant to their lives. So they can actually, uh, this is actually part of, of their business really. And, and they could be attractive to these local audiences. There are also stories that are uh, super intriguing uh, for broad audiences. And I'm just thinking of something that might strike you a little bit weird. It might strike people weird that we included a, a case study from, from the uh, World Economic Forum's social media uh, in, the, in the report, because this is not a journalism organization, but I think uh, they are doing an excellent job on social media, doing constructive journalism. They have these three regions of the world with the best uh, bike path something. Or this is the first uh, train powered by, I forgot by what. So bringing best practice cases from all over the world home to people is really, really inspiring and interesting. Because when you are in India and you see a nice example from Malaysia or something like that, you feel like, oh, you know, if it works there, why can't it work where I'm at home? 
and and adopt this. So really exchanging best practice, I, I think, is invaluable. Learning from where solutions are being developed elsewhere is, is really, really essential for for making progress in climate change mitigation. So that kind of uh, plays to the good story, I suppose, rather than the shock and scary story. Do you think that there's space for both? I think there has to be, obviously. I mean, journalism wouldn't be journalism without shock and awe. A colleague from uh, Swedish radio approached me because he learned that I was doing research for the report. And he said, well, you know, we have great experience with the podcast that is sort of uh, really going to the darker side, like like just some some dystopian scenario, but then in the end explaining some sort of a solution. And he said that is incredibly successful with audiences because people read crime novels or something like that. They read mysteries and thrillers, so you know they they might be intrigued by by these kind of alarming, shocking things. But it's always risky to just you know leave it there and let people sit there within the calamities and making them feel like there's no way out. It's a smart idea, I think, to really then in the end say, well, you know, if you want to avoid that, uh, this is how someone tackled this. Because of the politicization of a lot of solutions, I wonder how journalists would be able to kind of navigate that. that I think it's often quite a, a shaky tightrope of knowing what to say or what to advocate as a solution. I mean, do you have any guidance there for people wondering how they would approach such a, a, a process? I think this is where the, you know, you have to report the facts uh, comes in. I, I guess that's what journalists' job is, right? To report everything to their best knowledge, uh, to explore uh, different um, possibilities and to keep that journalistic Distance. I, I really prefer to say distance in, instead of uh, instead of neutrality or objectivity or impartiality, because distance is what it's really all about. You are best served to be very transparent about what you know and what you don't know, and that's been a successful recipe for reporting, uh, also in ongoing processes. And I mean, climate change and its mitigation is an ongoing uh, process. None none of us can really claim that they have the solution except for stopping to burn fossil fuels. Yes, that is the solution. But since burning of fossil fuels is related to basically everything we do, everyone also knows that we can't do that uh, starting tomorrow. So it's, it's just sort of this exploring solutions and journalists need to keep an open mind and also admit uh, when they're wrong. But I wonder independent journalists attempting to get published here or there it's it's, it's a it seems like a big ask to be an expert on something and uh but i but i like the idea of this kind of responsibility and also distance i mean i think you touched a very important subject like you know this the requirement to be an expert and i i'm afraid all journalists have to become uh at least to a certain extent, experts on, on climate change because climate change touches so many, so many areas and, and walks of life. It's kind of cool also, right, to confront decision makers with, you know, where's your climate strategy and what have you been doing to do this and that? And uh, uh, many reporters haven't been used to asking these questions. I think journalists need that much expertise so that they can ask the right questions. Uh, th that is important. And um, I mean, yes, I think being a journalist means 
being responsible. Um, and, and it's also, uh, no matter, even in tabloid journalism, you are sort of responsible because you feel responsible for the interests of, you know, people who might not have an academic background and might not be, you know, knowledgeable in all kinds of areas or who might have certain needs that are unmet by uh, official policies or whatever. So you're asking questions on people's behalf, which is also a matter of responsibility. And I guess everyone has an interest to, you know, uh, help humanity survive <laughs> on this planet. So asking questions on behalf of people is, is the job description of any journalist. already mentioned imagery i don't know if you have any more to say about that than you already have imagery is really important in particular because people have emotions when they watch pictures or movies or whatever with climate change climate journalism many news organizations don't pay attention to it so they constantly select very weird images we we talked to a colleague of mine talked to to, to uh, Professor Saffron O'Neill from the University of Exeter, and she's just like, the polar bear is, is like the worst image that you could use to convey climate change because can you identify with the polar bear? Probably not. And also it makes this like ice is melting, everything is done with, everything's gone. Um, so you should avoid using these kind of images. Um, probably works better to use images that also show us the beauty of nature and what we have to lose or images that portray lifestyles that we could actually choose and that are actually something positive associated with uh, climate change, like, you know, um, the benefits of cycling in, in clean air instead of uh, being stuck in a, in a traffic jam uh, surrounded by um, noisy cars or whatever, because that is also an issue that very often um, climate change policies are associated with, you know, oh, sacrifice, cost, loss, all these negativities. So actually envisioning uh, a, a positive future uh, is, is an important part of it. It makes a lot of sense to invest in better images and that uh, Phil Chetwin from, from uh, Agence France Presse, the AFP, the news agency, said that actually visual strategies at the core of of their climate strategy and they they even send out photographers to areas of the world uh, where there are spectacular uh, natural events that they can really bring home uh, lots of photos or videos or whatever to, to let people see and experience, you know, what is it uh, that is at stake here uh, other than just using boring uh, stock photos or using, you know, the next burning forest or, or the flooding or, you know, all these natural disasters that are obviously part of climate change, but not part of the solution. And actually when we, When we started to talk about images for our report, I, I discussed this with, with a colleague at, at, at the EBU, at the European Broadcasting Union that commissioned the report. Um, and, and she was more like, oh, you know, way we could have like, uh, yeah, 
pictures of natural disasters and the dark future and whatever. And I said, well, it, the, the, the headline of the report is more, be more constructive and, you know, envision a bright future. We can't do that. So actually we, we had an agreement with AFP uh, to, to use their pictures, their images for the report. And I recommend to look into the report just because of the beautiful images. Images can transport so much more emotion than maybe a long text can that people just don't read, even though they might find the topic interesting. What's the single most important aspect of communication that we should be paying attention to in our communication endeavours? <laughs> I love to ask other people these kind of questions. I should be prepared to get them and to respond to them. I think that the, the most important thing is to, to, be, to be constructive. Don't leave people alone with calamities and disaster, but, uh, you know, show them a way out. Um, don't polarize. Don't really press people into taking sides and, and the good and the bad and the villains and, and whatever, but, but uh, really try to, to show the world as it is. And it's very nuanced. It's, it's, it's never black and white. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that is probably the most important. And that is a part of, of what, what we call constructive journalism also. And the second is, what's the biggest mistake you see communicators make? I mean, the worst mistake. And and uh, yeah, in, in the beginning, I already mentioned that don't underestimate humor and emotions. I mean, like, you know, make not thinking about your communication, your, your journalism carefully. That is probably the, the biggest mistake, not thinking about who your audiences are, what their needs are, um, what they might be receptive to. People... People learn most uh, when interacting with their peers. I guess even a millionaire who realizes that uh, suddenly he ends up uh, alone with his private plane when all his millionaire buddies say they, they're using the train now, um, you know, uh, that, that is probably the most effective thing. Um, no, I'm, I'm joking here, but, but, but there's some truth to it. People tend to, they tend to do, they, they want to do what their peers do. So um, initiating conversations among peers is probably a very important function that all journalism but also communication has and when you manage to do that you are likely to have an impact with people and that means that you need to focus on on your audiences i guess if there's anything else you'd like to share with listeners now is a chance to do that if not no problem but i thought i'd leave the the floor open if you do there's only one thing because we haven't talked about that um that actually climate journalism is, is a really tricky thing. It's hard to tackle. It's very challenging. And if you manage as a journalist to tackle that really extremely challenging topic, then you'll do a much better job in the rest of your journalism too. You know, if you are really an expert in thinking through the challenges of, of climate journalism, you will be more constructive. You will pay more attention to depth and you will pay more attention to imagery, maybe. When you do climate journalism right, there's a lot of things you can learn from to do the rest of your journalism right, too. And that, that is uh, directly a message uh, we'd like to convey to editors who are torn, you know, should we invest in climate journalism or shouldn't we invest in climate journalism? And it's actually really a useful investment because it helps the rest of your journalism thrive also. It was so great to talk to Alexandra, to pick her brains on journalism and realise how many other professions and colours of the communication spectrum it relates to. But what stuck with you from this conversation? 
What can you take from it and apply to your own work? For me, it's the idea of accountability, that each of us is responsible for what we're putting out into the world and the impact that it has. That spills into one of my other takeaways, which is to be wary of further polarizing people through my engagement on this issue. We need people together, not apart. But how about you? What will you be taking with you into your communications endeavors? Thanks to Alexandra for sharing her time and knowledge with the show. It was great. You can find all kinds of useful links in the show notes, including to the Climate Journalism That Works report itself. It's packed with amazing resources that will be valuable to climate communicators of all kinds. I really recommend giving it a read. Thanks also to you for listening to Communicating Climate Change. You can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts or by subscribing so you never miss out. Remember, each and every episode attempts to add to our toolkit to help us develop the skills and expertise that we'll need for this important task. So be sure to stay tuned for more. For anything else, just head over to communicatingclimatechange.com. Until next time, take care.